Good morning. It is good to see you all. My name is Andrew. I'm so thankful you are here. We are in this final, I think, ninth week of this series called Stand Firm. And we're going to talk about swords today. There's just something about swords. You know, I, growing up as a little boy, you know, maybe you were a little boy, you had a little brother, you're a boy mom. If you've ever been around boys at all, you know, anything and everything can become a weapon, right? Anything, especially a sword. Like I think of, you know, growing up, like a stick could become a sword. Maybe, you know, a Christmas wrapping paper, you know, roll could become a sword. A pool noodle, I mean, you name it, you can make it into a weapon and into a a sword. And, you know, it's not quite like, you know, good old hand-to-hand combat, but it's, it's, it's close, right? It's, it's up close, it's person-to-person, weapon-on-weapon, like Pastor Jack likes to say, mano-a-mano. Um, man, there's something about swords. Uh, think about some of the movies that you've enjoyed over the years or stories that involve sword fighting. All right, so let's kind of walk through some of these. For me, growing up, it was anything that involved ninjas, okay? And I don't know if I, I loved martial arts and ninjas because there's Asian in me. I don't know. I just assumed there was this inner ninja that was going to come out of, out of me because I was, you know, part Asian. Um, I love ninja stuff. Maybe classic movies like Zorro or like The Three Musketeers, you know, swashbuckling, sword fighting kind of things. Maybe you like, like pirate movies, maybe movies or stories about uh, knights. Okay, so maybe your cup of tea is Monty Python and the Holy Grail, all right? If you've seen that, you know, it's just a flesh wound, okay? Great scene. Um, maybe, I don't know, Kill Bill. I don't know what your, what your flavor is. There's all kinds of movies. My favorite, my personal favorite, I think the best sword fighting scene in all of history it's from The Princess Bride, all right? Is anybody with me? The Princess Bride, it's an incredible scene. In fact, I contemplated showing this, this, this clip, and I just was like, man, that's three minutes out of my preaching time. Let's just put a picture up, you know? Uh, incredible scene. You gotta go home and watch it now if you've not seen it. Um, but man, there's something about, about swords, and today we're gonna talk about swords because we're wrapping up this series on spiritual warfare called Stand Firm. And the reality about this whole series, what we've been talking about is that we are, while we are physical beings living in a physical world, we are also spiritual beings and we're engaged in spiritual warfare, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. But really for all of us, the, 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 the greatest, the most real, the most true battle that we face is an unseen battle. It's a battle for our hearts and our minds and, and our souls And in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul addresses this, that we're in battle, that we're in spiritual warfare. And so we need to put on the armor of God to protect us. And so as we've walked through this, we've, we've talked about the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. We've talked about gospel shoes or gospel boots. We discussed the, the shield of faith. And then last week we talked about this helmet of salvation. And this week we're going to address the the sixth and final piece of armor, and it's actually more of a weapon, and it's the only weapon that's provided to us, and it's called the sword of the Spirit. And so I want to ask you all to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we've been in this throughout this series, and we're going to finish it up uh, today. We're going to read through Ephesians 6 one more time, verses 10, and we're going to make our way all the way down through verse number 18. Starting in Ephesians 6, verse number 10, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. 
Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, our enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and his shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, and this is where we come to today, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And so I want to take just a moment to pray to open this up, and then we're going to start talking about the sword of the Spirit. Again, Father, I want to say thank you for this opportunity that we have to open up your word, to hear uh, your words, to see you revealed to us in truth. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us, that you would remove distractions from our minds, that you would challenge us and encourage us where we need that. God, that, that whatever need is in our hearts and souls this morning, God, that you would meet us right where we are at. Lord, help us to understand the things that you want us to understand today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the sword of the spirit is what we're talking about today. And, you know, as, as Paul was going through this passage and he's laying out all these pieces of armor, he is no doubt looking at Roman soldiers that occupied um, the, the Jews at this point. And he's looking at the armor that they have put on. And he's relating that spiritually to spiritual armor that we can put on. And so this morning, as we talk about the sword, what, what was an ancient Roman sword, what did that look like? What was it, what did it look like and how was it used? So in the New Testament, in the Bible, in the original Greek language, there's two different words used for, uh, for sword. One of them was used seven times and it refers to what we would know as like a long broad sword, okay? The type of sword that we would imagine, you know, doing the old sword fighting with. But there's another term that's used in the New Testament more often, in fact, 29 times. And what it refers to is, and this is Ephesians chapter 6 as well, it doesn't refer to that long broadsword. It's more of a, a large knife or a short sword. All right, so maybe one to two feet in, in length. And this Greek word that it comes from is makaira, which when you look at it spelled out, it, it resembles to me in my mind what the first word I think of is machete. Okay, so if you can imagine a small, shorter sword, this is what it looked like for a Roman soldier. How, how was it used? So it, it was used both offensively and defensively. And it was, it was excellent in close quarters, all right? So when, you, when the fight came close, it, it was excellent in fighting up close. This was what a Roman sword was used for. So as we kind of transition, when we look at the sword of the spirit, well, what is the sword of the spirit and how is it used? Well, you know, as we've looked at every piece of armor up until now, the five previous pieces, what we've kind of tried to do throughout this series is identify the piece, helmet of salvation, for instance, and we've kind of looked at, okay, what is a helmet? What's it for? 
what is salvation in the scripture all about? And then we're trying to put together these pieces and go, okay, what is a helmet of salvation? How do we use this in our lives? The, the cool thing that Paul does here when it comes to this final piece, when it comes to the sword of the spirit, he actually defines it for us right in the text. And if you, if you look back at verse number 18, he says, the sword of the spirit, verse number 17, which is the what? The word of God. He, he defines it. Here's what the sword of the spirit is. It is the word of God. So he's talking about the Bible. He's talking about the scriptures, the written words of God, from God, that reveal God to us. He says the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So, you know, I, I don't want to be simple here, but if you look at even that phrase, the sword, this is an important phrase, of the spirit. So what Paul is telling us is this isn't a physical weapon or physical sword. It's a sword that comes from, it is of and from the spirit of God. It is a spiritual weapon. It's a spiritual sword and it's the word of, of God. And so how, how is it used? Did any of you, just a question, this will tell how long you've been in church. Any of you grew up in a church or ever in a church where you did sword drills? Raise your hand if you've ever done sword drills. Okay. A handful are still around. Okay. So when I came to Christ, 17 years old, I had one year left in youth group and I was in a pretty traditional Baptist church where in our youth group, we did sword drills. If you don't know what a sword drill is, what you did is, you know, all the, the teenagers would sit with their Bibles. They would call out a Bible verse, Ephesians 6:18, And they would say, charge. Okay. Super cheesy, but this is the church in the nineties. All right. So charge. And so everyone would try to flip to Ephesians chapter six, verse 18. And if you got that verse, you would pop up and you would read the verse out loud. Okay. And if you, if you were first, you were the winner, okay? And, and the idea was, we're teaching you how to use your sword, okay? It's sharp. How do you use? So that was kind of the, what we did in those days. So this is what this is. It's a, it's a sword. It's, it's a weapon. And if, if you've noticed, I've transitioned to a meatier, chunkier weapon, because I was carrying around like this little like steak knife before, and I'm like, I need something that I can beat somebody up with, right? So it's a sword. It's a weapon. It's the sword of the spirit. How is it used? It's, it's like the Roman sword. It's used both offensively and defensively. So I want to talk about how we, how we use this defensively. It's, it's used to, to combat lies and temptation. It's used to fight off lies that we're bombarded with in our culture, in our world, in our lives. And it's to fight off temptation. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 4 and ask you to turn there. Matthew 4, and, and what we see, this is early on in the life of, of Jesus. He's come on the scene into his public ministry, and the very first thing that happens is he's taken by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And, and what we see here is we see Jesus pull out the sword of the Spirit. So Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, it says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, and I just want to point out this. I think it's intriguing, and it mimics what happens in our lives a lot. He was tired. He was hungry. He was physically weak. And here comes temptation. So if, if you ever want to be on guard against temptation, man, when you're tired, hungry, when you're physically weak, man, the enemy is going to come in, and he does so with Jesus. 
And it says, he came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he, Jesus, answered, and here's three important words. He says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So what Jesus does, his defense is, is he, he quotes scripture. He, he goes back to what is, is written. Well, then the devil comes at him again in verse number five. It says, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. And, and I want you to catch that. Okay, Jesus' defense was, hey, it's written. And so the enemy comes back and he, he takes what is written, but he kind of twists it to his own purposes. He says, he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him again, say these words with me. It is written, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you. And, and I want to stop there for a second because in Ephesians 6, we see that, that the devil, he's, he's called the God of this world. In other words, for whatever reason, God has given him some authority over this domain, this present darkness, the kingdoms of this world. And so the devil comes to Jesus and says, see all this, the kingdoms of the world, all the glory of all of this, it's all yours if, he says, if you will fall down and worship me. And so he tempts him again. And Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And so what we see here is that Jesus is tempted. He, he is tempted with sin and his response in each case is to fight back, not in his own strength, not in his own wisdom, not in his own cunning, but through what is written. In other words, he pulls out the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And I want to read you a quote here from a guy named Andrew Wilson. He said this, just consider the way Jesus fights. He has the resources of heaven available, yet he fights by using the authority of the scriptures, not as a one-off or as a change of tactics, but each and every time it is written, it is written, it is written. He repeatedly emphasizes his position is unequivocal. You're trying to tempt me, but the scriptures have spoken. And so that's the end of the conversation. And so the way he fights back is through what is written, through the scriptures. He pulls out the weapon of the word of God to fight off temptation and to defend himself from sin. I want to read you one more quote from John Piper. He says this, sin is what you do, and I think this is a great definition of sin. It's what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself, which means that the power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's. All that God promises to be for us in Jesus stands over against what sin promises to be for us without him. 
And so the way that we fight against temptation, the way that we break the power of temptation and sin is by pulling out the sword of the spirit. It's a defensive weapon because we need the word to to cut through the lies and to break the power of sin over us. And so the Bible, the word of God, the sword of the spirit is a defensive weapon, but it's also an offensive weapon. It's also an offensive weapon. It's, it's to be used to fight against darkness. And this is where I, I pull out my trusty Star Wars reference. All right, this reminds me of the coolest sword in all of, you know, filmdom. The lightsaber, right? It's a sword that's made out of light. How cool is that, right? And it reminds me of, and it reminds me of that every brilliant writer and filmmaker pulls their best content knowingly or unknowingly from the scriptures, right? A lightsaber, because the Bible talks about it being a light and a lamp and also a sword that is sharp and it's living and it's, it's active. And so this sword is an offensive weapon to help cut through and to, to fight against the darkness that we face. So when it comes to those who are what I would call not yet believers, we evangelize, which means we, we, we share the good news. We tell them the good news through the word of God. And you know what? I would say the church and Christians have been guilty over the centuries of, of using the Bible as a weapon, but not in a good way to, to harm and to hurt and to beat people up. But no, it's, it's meant to be a weapon for good for people to help free them from darkness, to set them free, to open their eyes to the light of the gospel. We've seen in 2 Corinthians 4 over this course of the series that the enemy blinds the minds of, of unbelievers. And so we need a, a, a sword, a lightsaber. We need this weapon to help cut through the darkness to free folks from the shackles of their sin. And so it fights against the darkness in the lives of not yet believers, but it also fights against the darkness that we face and that comes at us and that comes after us. And so we use the scriptures to strengthen ourselves, to encourage ourselves. I want you to see Hebrews chapter four, verse 12, one of the most clear and powerful verses speaking about the word of God. Hebrews 4.12, it says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so we see that the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I love this description of the scriptures because it says it has two edges, all right? It's, it's, it's like a knife or a sword that on one, on one blade or one side could cut and could hurt and can harm, but then there's this other side that helps and that heals. I think of like a surgeon's scalpel, and it says it's, it's sharper than any, any physical two-edged sword. Think about a physical sword. It, it's, it's sharp. It can cut through flesh, but the Bible tells us that the Word of God is sharper Why? Because it does more than cut through, it doesn't cut through flesh, it cuts to the very heart and soul and it discerns our thoughts and our intentions. It reveals to us who God is and it reveals to us who we are. 
It's living and it's active. It's an offensive weapon to encourage and to help us, to heal us. It's powerful. Psalm 43, verse 3, the psalmist says, Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. It's talking about the word of God as light and as truth. Now, let me, let me share a couple other thoughts when it comes to the sword. You know, we talked about the physical sword, how it was excellent in, in close quarters. And I would just say about, about the scriptures, the sword of the spirit. You know, we face, as Christians, as the church, you know, sometimes we would talk about the attacks that we face in our world and in our culture, on our beliefs and on our way of life and the things that we hold dear to, that we believe are truth. And that is true. There, there are attacks in our culture towards the church, but those are kind of at a distance. You know what I'm saying? Most of the attacks that you and I face in our lives are very up close and they're very personal. And so we need a weapon that can help us to fight in close quarters. And that's why this, this, this is a personal weapon for us. It's the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And another thing about this weapon is that it's, it's connected to prayer. When you look at Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Ephesians 6, the very next verse, verse 18. And we could, we could apply this to every piece of armor. He says this, praying at all times in the what? In the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. And so what he tells us is the way that we wield a spiritual weapon, a sword of the spirit, is we need to be praying at all times to the spirit. He is the one that enables us to use the sword and to have power it's through his spirit. And so the way that we put on all the armor is we pray it on. The way that we keep it on is we, we pray it on. The way that we wield the sword is through prayer. And so prayer is such an integral part of all of this. This is the way that we fight our battle. It's through prayer. And we could spend a whole nother week on that. But I'm going to leave it right there. So how do we, how do we take up the sword? How do, we, how do we take up the sword like, like Paul admonishes us in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17? This is, this is really simple, but I hope this will be helpful as we spend these next few minutes here before we transition into the Lord's Supper. How do we take up the sword of the Spirit? Well, first of all, we've got to pick it up. We have to pick it up, which means we pick it up regularly. We read it. We study it. We listen to it. Uh, I, I like to refer to different resources or tools. One of my favorite Bible apps is one called Dwell. Dwell, and if you go to our website, um, look under the resources tab, or if you go to friendshipwire.com slash apps, A-P-P-S, you'll see any number of Bible uh, apps that you can use on your device. But one of them I love is called Dwell because it's a Bible listening app. And so what you can do is you can turn on the Bible and you can listen to it. And you can listen to it in all these these cool voices like this um, South African male voice or this female like English voice. Like that is the voice. I'm telling you, you want to hear the scriptures read from a, fem a, Brit a female British fe female, right? It's cool. It, but it has this different kinds of music that 
come under the, under the scripture reading. And it's just a really cool way to take in, to absorb or engage with the scriptures. There's, there's other apps on there, but pick it up. It means regularly read it and listen to it and memorize it and study it. Pick it up because you know this. A weapon is only powerful if you pick it up. It's only powerful if you pick it up. It's worthless if you don't pick it up. And you may, you may be like, well, I'm, not, I'm just not well-versed in it. Uh, I don't understand it very much. I don't know it. I'm not proficient in it. Here's the reality. Proficiency comes with practice. Like you don't get, you don't get good at understanding it and using it and applying it overnight. In fact, I'm reminded of, of this scene in The Princess Bride that I mentioned earlier, okay? As I was doing my research, sometimes what happens when I do research for a sermon is I get on these little rabbit trails and get stuck in like rabbit hole. And one of them was on The Princess Bride, okay? So I'm looking at this scene. I'm like, should I play this scene? Should I not? And I'm reading all these articles about the filming and history of this, okay? So I'm gonna share my useless knowledge with you this morning. In filming the scene, the, the two actors in the scene, Mandy Patinkin and Carrie Elwes, uh, in this scene, they were not, so they didn't come into this movie filming as like proficient swordsmen, all right? They didn't know how to do it, but they wanted to learn. They were actually, they actually filmed the entire scene themselves the sword fighting part, not the flipping parts. Okay, I've read too much about this scene. But, but what happened is they spent four to six months training, like eight hours a day um, with, with experienced trainers and guides who were teaching them how to use a sword so that they could come to this, this day of filming and film this three, three and a half minute scene that would live on in infamy, okay? It's an amazing scene. But they spent four to six months of training, day in and day out, just to be able to be proficient enough to film this scene. And I'm amazed by that, but the reality is, like, we're never gonna, we're never gonna get, get good, and I know it's bad English, all right? We're never gonna become proficient in understanding and using and relying on and loving the scriptures unless we pick it up. We gotta pick Pick it up. And, and one of the things I would say, too, is to, to pick it up with others. One of the, the best ways you can learn more and grow more is to pick it up with others. One of the coolest things I've been involved with recently is this Tuesday night connection group that, that we're doing, Thriving in Babylon. We've got about 10 to 12 of us in this group. And, and what we do is we watch a video, we talk, we crack open the scriptures. And one of my favorite things, this group uh, those of you that are with me, you know this. I talk about it. I love, and maybe you've heard me say this before, I love the sound of like the pages of a Bible turning. There's like nothing. It's like angels' wings. You know what I'm saying? I love the sound of people turning their Bibles. So that's why every week I'm discouraged when I say, open your Bibles, and it's like crickets because everyone's scrolling. You know what I'm saying? Or looking at the screen, which is okay. But man, I love the opportunity to open up the scriptures with others and to hear how God is speaking to others and how God is using his word, how he's challenging and encouraging people. But pick it up with others. It doesn't have to be a solo sport. Okay, so pick it up. But, but here's the second and really obvious part of this. How do, we take, how do we take up the sword? We pick it up and we use it. We use it. And listen, the fact that you're in church, maybe you're newer to church or you've not been around a long time, but just the fact that you're, you're here today, 
I'm, I'm pretty sure you probably already understand that you, or you probably know that you need to use the Bible, right? Especially if you've been around church any length of time, you know, I don't have to tell you, you need the Bible, you need to use the Bible. But the question is, and this would be ridiculous for me to not ask this question this morning, it's not do you know that you need to use it? Are you actually using the Bible? Am I actually using it? And what I mean by that is, is, is the intention is for this thing, this book, these words to be a weapon to be used. And so if I asked you a question, if I asked you what, what is the sin that you struggle with most? What are some weak spots or weak areas in your life? Yeah, I probably wouldn't have to give you 30 seconds to think about some of the stuff that you struggle with most, that when temptation in this area comes, it is the hardest for you to resist. Maybe it's anger or lust or pride or whatever it might be. What are you, what are you doing to fight against that weak area in your life? Are you just trying harder? Are you trying to resist more? You're trying to muscle up and push through it? Or... Are you using the weapon of the word of God to fight against, to cut through the lies, to break the power of that temptation, of that sin in your life? Are you using it? This is the purpose for this book. When, when others around you are, are struggling with something and you hear struggle in their story, how do you encourage them? How do you help them? Do you say, hey, you've got this. You're good, you're strong, you're smart, you're capable, I believe in you. All great encouraging things, but man, they, they fall short, they don't last. What you need, what we need is an internal word that's gonna speak and encourage and build up and help us and heal us in those places. You know, again, another, another rabbit hole that I stumbled onto in preparing for this sermon was um, I saw this list of the 10 most expensive swords or 10 most valuable swords that are in existence in our world today. So I wanna show you some pictures and put the names up here because I'll probably butcher the, the words. But out of the top 10, here's the top three, okay? Number three on this list is this 15th century uh, Nasrid period ear dagger, okay? I'd imagine the apostle Peter would use a weapon like this, all right, okay? Some of you will get that later. Okay, $6 million, right? Can you imagine paying $6 million or even having $6 million to pay for a dagger, right? Okay, number two. This makes more sense to me. This is Napoleon Bonaparte's gold-encrusted saber. Okay, this sounds like a fancy dish at a fancy restaurant. Gold-encrusted saber. Okay, never mind. $6.6 million. That makes a little more sense to me, but still, like, wow, 6.6. So imagine number one. Okay, number one is this 18th century Botang saber. $7.7 million that somebody paid to purchase this sword. And I don't think this picture does it much justice. You know, this is like a bad eBay picture, you know. But $7.7 million for a sword, okay? So the question is, what do you think these people that own these most valuable swords in the world, 
what do you think they're doing with these swords at home? What do you think? Are they like, hey, like Rusty, let's sword fight. What, what do you think they're doing? Hey, it's probably on a shelf. It's probably on a, in a display case behind some glass. Um, extra information for you. I, would, I think it would be the coolest thing in the world to have a sword uh, on the wall, like in my office. Like Father's Day is coming, my birthday is in July. If you want to buy me a sword, I would love to hang a sword right behind my desk. Ephesians 6, 17, take up the sword of the spirit, like to make it spiritual, right? I would love, I think it would be the coolest thing to have a sword hanging over, you know, my head. When people come in their office, they're like, whoa, this, this guy is serious. I would love that, all right? Super cool. Anybody have a sword in your house? Anybody? Okay. Oh, you do, man. Awesome. Okay. You heard me. I love it. I would love to have one. So here's the problem. Here's the thing. Understandable. If I had something that valuable, I would have it in a display case. I would have it out of harm's way. I ain't like sending the kids to go play with a sword. You know what I'm talking about? It would be protected. It would be on display for all to see. The problem is that sometimes what we do, or maybe oftentimes, what happens is we treat the sword of the Spirit in that same way. Like it's something to be put on display. It's something to sit on a shelf. And the bottom line that I want you to hear this morning is that the word is a weapon to be used, not a sword to sit on a shelf somewhere. It's a weapon to be used, not a sword to sit on a shelf collecting dust and going unused. The word of God is powerful and as living and as active as it is. It does us no good if it sits somewhere on a shelf collecting dust. We gotta pick it up and we gotta use it. Some of you, you know, you have a a weapon in your home. Maybe you have a firearm on your nightstand or in your drawer beside you just in case of attack, right? That weapon does you no good when the attack comes and that firearm stays in the drawer. And yet some of us forget This is the point of this series is that we're always under attack from the enemy. The enemy is relentless. The attack never, ever lets up. And so we can't afford to leave our weapon, the one weapon that God has left us with, on a shelf somewhere, unused. We've got to have it unsheathed and ready to go because the attack is always, it's constant, it's relentless. And we need a sword of the Spirit to help us fight the spiritual battle that we face. And and so, you know, maybe this morning, listen, I hate guilt trips. I'm not here to guilt trip you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you, you and I are both on the same spectrum of, yes, I need to be in the Bible more. I need to read it more. I need to memorize it more. I need to meditate it, meditate on it more. We're all on that spectrum, all right? I should more. But maybe you're here this morning, you're like, how do I do that? How can I, I I want to wield the sword more and better, be more proficient. How do I do that? Let me just give you two really quick and simple tips, okay? These are are just some things that you might consider that might help you where you're at. The first one is this, consider digital versus physical. 
consider digital versus physical. Now, I am a huge fan of digital, of technology, of all these things. I love having access to a Bible on my phone, in my pocket at any point. I love it. And there's, again, like I mentioned, there's different apps. The Bible app has all these reading plans and there's all these resources. And I think it's phenomenal. I think you should use them. But research has shown that digital is, is best for, for uh, surface reading, okay? What we may, may refer to as like skimming through text. It's really good when you wanna do some surface reading. It's not so great when it comes to deep reading or meditative reading, like the Bible requires, because what happens on a device? In my world, it's like, oh, notification, oh, text, oh, there's an advertisement. There's so much distraction that can happen that keeps me from concentrating and, and, and doing deep reading. And so a digital Bible app may make it easier to read the Bible, and I'm all for that but it may possibly make it harder to read it well. Does that make sense? And so I'm not telling you to get away from or you know, don't use a, a Bible app. I love them, you should use them. But, but if you're struggling, maybe you don't even own a physical Bible or maybe you do most of your reading on a phone, I would encourage you, think about or try using a, a, a hard copy. And if you don't have one and you need help, I would be happy to help you have a, a, a physical Bible that you can hold in your hands and you can flip through and you can read and you can engage with. So that's just one thing to consider, all right? Here's a second one. And this actually just, I discovered this yesterday. It was a, a study, a research study that was done. And it was, it was um, a recent study by the Center of Bible Engagement. And they polled 40,000 people from ages eight to 80. All right, so a wide spectrum of ages, 40,000 people. And their goal was to see how people were engaging with the scriptures, how they were engaging with the Bible. This is so fascinating to me. I've never seen this before. So in this study, 40,000 people, age eight to 80, what they discovered was those who engaged with the Bible one or two times a week, okay, which, which could include you know, a Sunday, open your Bibles too, and you just engaging with the scriptures. Okay? So those who engage with the Bible one or two times a week it says that there was almost no impact on key areas of, of those people's lives. In other words, in their behavior, in their lifestyle, there was almost no impact. Those who engaged with the scriptures three times a week, there was a little bit of a bump. Okay, so there was a little bit more, um, something moved in the behavior of the person. There was, you know, a slight pulse or a faint heartbeat. So there's a little bump in the impact. But where things really Got, got interesting was when people engaged the scriptures four times a week or more. Like the impact was dramatic and drastic when people would engage with the scriptures four times a week. And in fact, I want to show you some of these statistics. Those who engaged four times a week or more, they found that they felt lonely. Their feelings of loneliness dropped 30%. The anger issues dropped 32%. Bitterness in relationships dropped 40%. Alcoholism dropped 57%. Sex outside of marriage dropped 68%. Feeling spiritually stagnant dropped 60%. Viewing pornography dropped 61%. Sharing your faith, man, this went through the roof 200% 
it increased. Discipling others, what we've been called all of us to do, jumped up 230%. Like what happened? What changed in this person's life? It's pretty simple. They picked it up and used it regularly. And the thing that even, as a pastor, that doesn't surprise me. The thing that I felt like really jumped out and grabbed me, and it won't be on the screen, but I want to read this to you. Limited activity, limited activity being, you know, a couple times a week, is elevated to the same effect as consistent activity when it is actually the same as no activity. In other words, what we do is we say, well, I read the Bible. That may be one or two times a week, or we open it on Sundays. And we, we tend to elevate or equate that with like consistently doing that and consistent activity and consistent results. But what the study shows, this research shows that less than four times a week, it's really closer to the same as no activity whatsoever. And I just find that so fascinating because to open the scriptures four times or more a week, maybe you're struggling, like with engaging the scriptures. Here's what I would challenge you and encourage you to. And again, not trying to beat you up. I think this is so interesting to say this had a dramatic impact in the life of people who would four times a week spend time in the Bible. And so I wanna encourage you. It's the beginning of May, May 2nd, right? You have at least four more weeks left here. If, If this is something that you struggle with engaging regularly, I would encourage you for the month of May, four times a week. Maybe put it on your calendar. Maybe put it, you know, set an alarm for it. And what does that look like? Maybe that's just 10 minutes a day. Just saying, I'm going to read the book of Ephesians this month, and I'm going to spend 10 minutes reading. So I'm going to set a timer four times a week, and I'm going to engage in the scriptures. I'm going to pull the sword off the shelf, out of the display case, and I'm just going to engage in it. I want to engage it. I want to see what happens in my life. I want to challenge you to that. If you, if you do it less than four times a week, maybe you do it once a, t- once a week, maybe you do it no times a week. This is maybe an incredible step for you. I would challenge you and encourage you. If you're gonna fight the fight that God has put us in and experience victory that he so wants for us, we gotta learn to, to use the sword, the weapon of the spirit that he has so graciously given to us. And that many, 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 many martyrs down through the ages have shed their blood and have given their life so that we could have a copy of the scriptures. The God-breathed revelation of God to us. It's the sword of the Spirit.